0: Well, dear friends, we're in Luke chapter 12. We're walking through verses 1 through 12. This morning, let's go ahead and read through that portion of Scripture, Luke 12 and verses 1 through 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, He began to say to His disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has been killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Are not one of them, and one of them is not forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. We see in this passage two very important attributes of God that are communicated through the words of Jesus, and we see God's omnipotence and His omniscience. Two important attributes that the believer should take comfort in. You should be comforted in the fact that God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. There's nothing that God doesn't know. For those of you in Christ, you should rest in this. You should take comfort in this. You should joyfully reflect upon this. Additionally, God is omnipotent, He is sovereign over all things. God can do all of His holy will. He can bring to pass that which He has decreed that He will bring to pass. His omniscience and His omnipotence should be of great comfort to the believer. Now, you should take heed of this. If you are not in Christ, if you are not one who has been saved by the grace of God, if you are not one who has seen your sin and turned to Christ. The omniscience and omnipotence of God should be something that is startling to you, should be concerning to you, should be something that stirs great fear in your heart. For there is nothing that is hidden that God will not reveal. There is nothing that is hidden that God is not already aware of. And you may think that you get away with something here or there. You may think that no one is looking when you do this activity or this sinful behavior. But God is aware, and God is sovereign, and God is powerful, and He is able to bring to pass what He has determined that He will bring to pass. So, this is our encouragement here, that you should take comfort in the omnipotence and omniscience of God. You as a believer should take comfort in this reality. And so, as God being omnipotent and omniscient, we know this to be true that number one, light shines on hypocrisy. That's Jesus' first point in this passage that God will shine light on hypocrisy. There is nothing that will be hidden that will not be revealed. God will bring to light that which is hidden. The Pharisees believed that they could walk in their religion in hypocrisy, they believed they could walk in their duplicitous religion. <coughs> And, and it was okay because men did not know, but God knew. Christ knew. And Christ is continually bringing to light that which is hidden within their false religion. Man seeks to hide himself, himself behind the veil of false religion, behind the veil of works based righteousness and legalism. But the light of Christ, the light of the Lord, will shine upon their works, and all will be revealed. God is omnipotent and omniscient, and therefore, we should fear God and not man. That's our second point, that we should fear God and not man. God is sovereign. God is aware of all things. In me, He may determine that you need to walk through difficulty, pain, suffering, and persecution, but it is for your own good, and it is for His purpose. At no point, at any time in difficulty, do we need to fret do we need to fear? Do we need to become anxious and say, oh, no, what is going to happen? No, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is resting. All of the world can become disruptive. All of the world can look like it is, it is shaking under the force of an earthquake, but the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is in control, and the Lord is faithfully bringing to pass what He has decreed He will bring to pass. Thirdly, God is omnipotent and omniscient, therefore, we must confess Christ regardless of the cost. And that very much ties into the second point, but regardless of the cost, we must confess Christ. We must declare Christ. We must stand firm on the foundation of Christ Jesus, what He has done on our behalf, because there are greater riches and rewards in Christ. There is greater comfort in Christ than all that this world could ever offer to us. You could lose everything in this life. You could lose everything in this world, and you are in a greater position. You are of greater wealth than the one who dies without Christ, regardless of how much they have accumulated in their lives. So let's look at that first point, that light shines on hypocrisy. God is omnipotent and omniscient, and therefore light shines on hypocrisy. Look at those first three verses of Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetop. The Greek word that is used here for hypocrisy and also for hypocrite is one that has its uh, root, its grounding in acting. Think of it as an actor. An actor is putting on a show. An actor is, um, is, 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 is being something that he or she is not. Th- they're representing something else. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's perfectly fine to be in acting or to theater or to, or to do something like that, but the audience understands, normally at least, the audience understands this is not who that person actually is. Sometimes uh, people forget this. They see the person out in public, and they begin to interact with them like they are that particular actor, and they have to be reminded, like, that's, that's who I represent on the show. That's not who I um, really am. And in fact, certain actors that are extremely successful in certain roles, either in theater or television or movies, Have to fight against this, have to fight against the difficulty that is there of being typecasted, of someone only associating them with this particular role, and then they have no other opportunities within their career to do anything else. But it's entirely different within this um, teaching that Jesus is giving. He is teaching against this hypocrisy of the Pharisees, where they would put forward these teachings, these rules, where we talked about last time how they, how they not just had the, the law of Moses, but then they had their, their commentary on the law of Moses, all right, the Mishnah, and then they had the Gemara, which was the commentary on the commentary of the law of Moses, and there were some that said that the Bible is like water, and then the Mishnah is like wine, and then the Gemara is like spiced wine. It's this this commentary on the commentary that really helps us to get down to the real details, the real meat of what is most important. And we see that. We've walked through this many times over with the Pharisees that they sought to add to the law of God. And in adding to the law of God, they didn't raise the law, but rather they lowered it. They diminished it. And we talked last time about the lawyers who were in charge of interpreting this commentary on the commentary Of the law, and they were quite good at this. They were quite good at putting burdens on other people and putting great difficulties on the lives of other people. But Jesus says that they themselves would not even lift their finger. They would not even lift their finger. They would use their knowledge of the law to figure out ways to get around it, to figure out ways to work against even the spirit of certain laws that you find within the Mosaic Covenant, because it wasn't about the spirit of walking in obedience to God, but rather it was about them just checking off certain boxes that they would deem themselves to be righteous. They could show themselves to be righteous before other men, and this was hypocritical. This was hypocritical because, first off, they missed the law in the first place by raising, by seeking to raise the standard, but rather they diminished it, But the Pharisees here were missing even the point of the law. You should look to the law and see the ways in which you don't meet this law. You fall short of this law. And that tension that you feel there, as you see the law of God, you look in the mirror of God's law, and you see the ways in which you are falling short to God's law, you must not kick against the goads of that tension. You must not push away from that and try to find some other law whereby you can justify yourself and find yourself to be deemed righteous by your own standard, you must recognize that. You must cling to that even and see this is the reality. You're looking at yourself honestly in the mirror. How many of you have been out somewhere and you did not realize it until you were in front of a mirror and you maybe had a stain on your shirt? You you spilled something there and you had been walking around, you know, the party or hanging out with your friends or going about, and you didn't realize you had the stain on your shirt, and it wasn't until you stood before the mirror, and you looked in the mirror, and you saw the fact that oh, I've got it stained, and you felt this, this, this uh, disappointment, you felt this, this shame that you've been walking around just laughing and talking, and you do find your true friends at times like that, do you not? Is it not your true friends that will go and tell you, hey, you've got something on your shirt here, Acquaintances just let you go on, or maybe those that aren't even your friends may tell someone else about the stain on your shirt, but your true friends are going to say, Hey, you know what? I know it's disappointing to you, but you've got a bad stain on your shirt. And that's the reality of seeing that, coming to that knowledge. And so at that point, I don't diminish it or deny it. It's a reality. I need to deal with the stain that I have on my shirt. So much more is it with God's law that you look into the mirror, and the purpose, one of the purposes of God's law, is that you would see that. Um, This is the reality of all of man's religion. It falls into this category of legalism, and it's contrary to true religion in Christ Jesus, true religion in Christianity. These false teachers, these false religions that fall into this category of, of legalism claim to do what they could never do, claim to do what is absolutely impossible for them. Claim to offer solutions for the problems of sin in your life, but they are completely unable to do that. Now, we talked about last week the fact that Roman Catholicism is such an excellent example of this over the years that they so much emulate and are so similar to the Pharisees in their rules and their specifications and in their lowering the law of God by adding all these details and laws and rules that were never there, these details, laws, and rules that made man say, good, I checked off this box, at least I did this or that, and furthermore, we see Roman Catholicism as being that religion that has such a long, long, deep history of persecuting the true church of God. For centuries they have been persecuting the church, quite like the Pharisees in the first century that joined forces with the Romans to persecute the church in the first century. But God was faithful, and God used even this persecution for His purpose. False religion hates truth. False religion hates truth. Legalism despises grace. But true religion shines light on false religion. That's one of the reasons why false religion despises true religion. That's one of the reasons why the Pharisees were conspiring to kill Jesus, to take His life, to remove Him, because He was competing against their rules of legalism. He was showing people the fact that they could be saved by grace and through faith, that He was going to do what was necessary whereby they could have peace with God, and this was removing some of the credibility of the Pharisees and the lawyers. It was putting them out of a job. True religion shows man's insufficiency. Grace shows man's insufficiency. Your, your inability to meet God's standard, to meet God's law, it shows your inability and your insufficiency. False religion puts forward a lie, puts forward a facade puts forward a, a series of religious actions that it encourages you to walk through and to participate in, but it offers no solution for sin. All of the false religions that we have studied, all of the ones that we have seen, take God's law, and they lower it. They have to. They absolutely have to. They need to put a standard up whereby you can think, I'm good. I've got this But God's law, rightly seen is the end of hypocrisy, is the end of legalism. It is there that you see, I am not good enough. I am not sufficient. And there's a sting in seeing that at first, but there is a comfort that is there in recognizing the reality of what is there in the mirror, that Christ is sufficient, that Jesus is sufficient. There is a goodness in this. There is a blessing in this. There is a there is a a, a beautifulness it is, it is beautiful, the one who would communicate that truth. Jesus is saying, beware of this, beware of this false religion. beware of this leaven. leaven is those of you that are into um, making your own bread that's kind of been a, a thing that's been going around lately, You're making sourdough bread and you create these balls of uh, fermented dough that you will break off and use to create a loaf of bread and that's that's the idea of leaven it's this it's this bit of dough that is used for creating um, bread and, and causing the bread to rise and just you just need a little piece of it those of you that have made the bread you just break off a little bit you you mix it up and it begins to rise just. A little bit of leaven begins to spread out everywhere, and that's good if if you're trying to make bread. But the example here he's using is this false religion of the Pharisees, this legalism of the Pharisees and the ways in which it will creep its way in. If you begin to allow legalism to creep into your religion, it is destructive to it entirely. It is destructive to true religion religion because legalism is looking to man. It's looking to man's standard to meet God's standard. The problem is we can't do that. If we could do that, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. There would be no reason for the incarnation, but it was necessary. It proves our insufficiency in doing this ourselves. It proves the necessity of Christ Jesus in grace in grace and religion shines brightly upon legalism. It shows the insufficiency of man in his religion to make himself right before God, and it shows the necessity of Christ through his life, death, and his resurrection to provide the bridge and the peace between man and God. That you say, I am insufficient, I am unable to do this, but Christ is. Sufficient. True religion shines God's law in the mind and the heart of man and leads man to see the ways in which he does not meet that standard. False religion lowers God's law and that before men, as a standard, they believe that they can keep. But true religion justifies man before God. Justifies man before God. True religion will reveal this the word of God will reveal these realities. And those that think they can hide from God, those that think they can look this way or that way, there's one that's looking. You cannot hide from God. There's cannot hide from God. There's nothing that He is unaware of. There's nothing that is hidden that is not revealed to God. He does not even, he's not even learning. We talk about God's omniscience. It's not even like like, let's say you knew everything, which you don't, but you do, and then as things happened, you began to learn new things, or you had to figure things out or try to ponder or solve puzzles. It's not that way with God. God's never thought about anything. God's never had to ponder these details. He's never had to try to figure anything out. God's never had to solve a problem. Why would He need to? He already knows all the answers. God knows all that there is. And even the times in Scripture where you will see what seems like God is thinking or God is pondering or God is trying to figure something out, understand this. This is what we call, it's a big word, but anthropomorphic. The writers are attributing human characteristics to God to help us to better understand who God is and what He is doing. Well, why would they do that? To help you to relate to who God is or to understand what is happening We don't struggle with this when we read passages that say, is the arm of the Lord too short? All of you know God doesn't have arms, okay? It's not telling you, look. You try to reach things, you've got to stand on a stool, and it's hard for you to reach, but, you know, God's got really, really long arms. He can reach whatever He wants. You know that it's talking about God's omnipotence, that He is powerful. He can do all things. You read a passage, and it talks about how God protects His children in His feathers. None of you are imagining, well, God actually has feathers. No, it's, this is a metaphor, okay? This is giving you a picture like, like a grand eagle is up there, powerful, and that powerful mother eagle is, is, is taking her little chicks underneath her, her wing and protecting them. How much more is God protecting you? And the same is true here. With this idea of um, when it talks about God maybe coming down to look at something, well, God's everywhere. He's not going down anywhere, all right? He's not thinking through anything. He's not second-guessing anything. These are just ideas that are communicated to help you to understand God is omniscient. He knows all things. He doesn't learn anything. He knows all things, and nothing is concealed from Him. That's why Jesus says, therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Nothing's hidden. God knows all things. All things will be revealed in the end. So, take comfort in this, dear friend. Take comfort, dear friend, in that God knows all things. He is omniscient, and He is omnipotent, and He will bring His will to pass. It may seem that the unbeliever is reigning at times, it may seem that he is sovereign and powerful, but the Lord is but waiting. The Lord has His purpose in this. And for you that would take comfort in your sin, that would rest in your sin, that would think that, well, no one is looking today, those that walk and they have this this philosophical idea, it's called uniformitarianism. This idea, well, things have always been this way. They're, they're always going to be the same. Some will take that idea scientifically. They'll look at the Grand Canyon with its magnificence, its greatness, its miles-wide uh, canyon in certain places, and they, well, there's a river down there. Well, certainly, there's always been a river here, and it's just been flowing, and I can just do the math and determine, well, you know, how many millions of years it's taken for the erosion to take place? Maybe. But you're assuming that things have always been exactly how they are. You're assuming that nothing cataclysmic has ever happened. Nothing drastic has ever happened. And people will do that in their sin. They will assume, oh, the Lord has allowed this to go by. The Lord has allowed me to walk in this sin for so long. Maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's okay. Take heed. Take caution. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is aware. And the Lord is omnipotent. Remember that light shines on hypocrisy, light shines even on that which men believe is hidden. But secondly, on account of God's omnipotence and omniscience, we should take comfort and fear God and not man. Fear God and not man. We see this in verses 4 through 7, it says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not a one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. He tells you, do not fear those who can only kill Do not fear those who can only take your life, but rather fear God who can kill you and send you into hell. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Again, this is emphasized here in the example that Jesus gives. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs um, of your head are all numbered? This is Again, pointing to the attribute of God, His omniscience, knowing all things, something that should be a comfort for you. Nothing is going to slip past Him. He is aware of all of the ways in which man is seeking to act. He knows all of these things. And even something here, the example is given, is is that of a a sparrow, something that that is very insignificant in the scheme of life, in the scheme of history, something as small as a sparrow. Sparrows are something that poor people would buy, and they would eat them as um, their meals sometimes. They were sold for uh, very, very inexpensive. People would go out and gather these birds, and they would be sold in the marketplace, and the poor people would, would eat them. And it was something that was totally common, something that was of, of very little value, something that of course was valuable to the person if they bought the bird to eat it at that time. But something dying is not of significance in the world. And that's what he is saying. God is even aware of the sparrow that dies. Take, take comfort in that. The Lord knows what you are walking through. The Lord knows the difficulties that you're going through. Don't tell yourself, what, why me? Or does God not know? Yet he knows. He knows. You may not, he may not tell you why you go through what you go through. He may not explain to you why things are going as they are. Perhaps you may not even be able to understand Remember the book of Job. Was he ever given an explanation as to why God did what he did? Why God allowed Satan to go and terrorize his household and and take away his wealth? It was never given to him. God just told him many other things that he didn't have an answer to. But you can take comfort in the fact that God is omniscient, and he, he knows. He uses the example of hairs on your head. That's used multiple times in the Scriptures. God's even aware of the hairs on your head. He is aware that earlier times in my life I had more hair on my head than I, than I do now, and He is aware that the hair on my head seems to be decreasing, that I have less and less hair on my head as the years are going down. But He says this. He's aware of the amount of hairs on your head, okay? Granted, if you're trying not to lose your hair, then it's concerning. Every little hair counts for you. But in reality, for the most part, if you lose a hair on your head, you, you don't notice it You don't really think about it. It's not something that crosses your mind. You have, you know, 100,000 or so hairs on your head, and you're not thinking about one of them missing. You don't even have the ability to count them, but God is aware. God's aware of the sparrow. He says this, you are of more value than sparrows. He knows what is happening in your life. Don't fear. Don't fear. Fear God but don't fear. That's the encouragement that is here. All that anyone can do, the worst that someone can do to you, dear Christian, is take your life. The worst they can do to you is is take your life. Secondly to taking your life, I guess you could say, is threatening your life or harming someone that you care about. I guess after that we could say maybe someone taking your possessions. After that, you know, someone maybe lower than that would be just disrupting your life or Uh, making your life uncomfortable in some way, but the most that someone can do to you is take your life. That's not a small thing, but that's it. That's all that they can do, and Christ has promised that even that will be granted back to you. Any possessions you lose in persecution will be given back to you many times over. The life that you lose will be given back to you. That is, our trust we confess that each and every funeral that we are in. We, we read through 1 Corinthians 15, and we remember that there is going to be a resurrection, that, that God is going to make right what was made wrong in the garden. Death came about because of sin, and Christ is going to remove that. He has always already purchased that which is necessary. He has always already accomplished what will bring that to pass ultimately in the end. The Lord is just tarrying at this time, to bring forward the calling of His people to Himself. And someone taking your life in persecution, someone taking your life in some way, is merely sending you into eternity where you will exist in joy with the Lord. Now, it's easier to speak of fearing God and and not men. It's easier to talk about not fearing men, but this must be an encouragement to us that God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. He knows all things, and He will bring to pass His good purpose in your life. And even if that means giving your life, giving your life for your profession to Christ Jesus, it is for your good. It is for His glory. He will give back to you many times over anything that you have lost. But let's be honest. That's not what most of us are dealing with. I don't think any of us are dealing with that at this point. Uh, We're not not living in a life where we're in danger. We're not living in a life where where we suffer these kinds of of persecutions, but we have the promise. We have the promise that we will experience persecution. We have that promise given to us. Paul says it. 2 Timothy 3 and verses 12 and 13, "...indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And there's comfort you can take even in that persecution. There's comfort that you can take in knowing that what you have in Christ is greater than anything you can lose, whether it be um, a a name, you know, a good name in the world perhaps, whether it be, um, you know, possessions or your standing, whether it be your job or your career, Christ offers more than anything that anyone can take away from you in persecution. Jesus offers us comfort in times of persecution and tribulation. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The one that seeks to take from you, Christ is sovereign over Christ is ruling over that person. Think even in the the book of Job. You have Satan going to the Lord and asking Him permission. You know, it was Martin Luther that said, you know, even the devil is God's devil. God is sovereign over Satan and what he can do and how far he can go. He is like a dog on a chain, and he cannot go beyond what the Lord allows him to do. And the fact is, your friends, we're living in a culture that is and has been moving more and more in a non-Christian direction, you know, all all kinds of ways, things that were, even though many ways the the culture wasn't Christian in the past, there were certain behaviors, there were certain uh, mores that were followed within the culture, and that that lack of foundation is, is, is beginning to show itself in modern times. And this is something, dear friends, that is bringing a lot of stress and anxiety to Christians, stress and anxiety to the church. And we, we must not fret. We we are not to stress we, we are not to be fearful. We, we are not to be living our lives in such a way that we're saying, you know, we wouldn't be going through this right now if this person and this person and this person hadn't done this. If only they hadn't done this, if only this hadn't come to pass, if only all these people previously had done this differently, then things would be so much different now. Perhaps they might be. Perhaps there can be wisdom in looking at behaviors and, and learning from them, but we must not be anxious Never once does Jesus command you to be anxious about things of this world. Never once does He command you to be anxious about who will be president, or who will be senator, or who will be mayor, or He never commands you to be anxious. In fact, we are commanded many times over not to be anxious, not to fret, not to stress, Think of the apostles and and the persecution that they went through, and the ways in which they gave their lives up for Christ, the ways in which they walked in faithfulness and obedience. And we see all of them, except for John, martyred very, very early on. Anxiety and stress is not a fruit of the Spirit, overwhelmingly overwhelmingly, you see this angst and anxiety. Just, It's ubiquitous on social media. If, if you're on it too much, if you're on certain mediums in particular, you see it just overwhelming, like, like people are, are losing their minds. And there's good reasons to point things out. There's good reasons to, 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 to be prophetic at times even, to, to speak truth but anxiousness is not a part of this, regardless of what the Lord has for us in the future. Anxiety is not what we need to be walking in. Fear is not what we need to be walking in. We can trust in Christ. We can trust in His finished work. We can trust in what He has for us, that we can lean upon that, that it is sufficient that we don't even need any of this world, that we can lose it all. We can lose our lives. We can lose our possessions, and Christ is sufficient. Christ is good enough. Does that mean that it doesn't matter what happens politically in the culture? Absolutely it matters there's too much at stake not to care. It's it's voting season right now. Maybe you don't know that. You You should go vote. There's primaries happening right now. You are in a representative republic. You should be participating in what you have before you, but not in a way where we're stressed, not in a way where we are losing our mind or we don't know what to do. God is sovereign even in these times. Yes, we participate. Yes, we are involved. Yes, we speak truth, you know, even on, on the internet, but not in a way that we're, we're fretting, not in the way that we are anxious. The Lord may bring revival in this culture. He has done it before. He brought great revival in the 19th century in this culture. Many of you, you don't realize that. We have this idea that, well, the, the country began and it was this great Christian bastion and everyone was in church and everyone was involved each and every Lord's Day, and it was not. that's not the reality. 10 20 percent of the people were in church each and every Lord's Day at the founding of this country. And even before that, it was even worse. It wasn't until the revivals that came about in the 19th century where you really began to have growth in numbers of church attendance, where you really began to have influences in laws in this culture, where abortion, we began to have laws against abortion. That didn't start at the founding of this country. It was, it was legal. Many of the founders didn't have an issue with these things. Maybe that's surprising for you, depending on what history curriculum you used uh, growing up. But the reality is it was in the 19th century that there were these great revivals, that there began to be a recognition that this is a life in the womb. And it was the American Medical Association, if you can believe that. It's the American Medical Association that began to lobby that abortion would be illegal God may bring about great revival in this land. He may change things greatly or He may lead to great persecution. We must walk faithfully regardless of what the Lord brings about. Regardless of what the Lord brings to us, we must walk faithfully. Christ has promised us that the gates of hell will not overcome the church. That's a promise, fear not. The gates of hell will not overcome the church the church. There are institutions that we may start, and they may rise, and they may fall. We can walk through the long list of Christian institutions that have been started in this country. You could look at Harvard University. You could look at Yale University, Princeton, Brown, each and every one of these. Some of them didn't last very long in orthodoxy. Others of them held on a little bit longer. It was Jonathan Edwards that came through Yale. It was Jonathan Edwards that was president of Princeton for a short time. It was Brown that was a Baptist school. Not so now. Each and every one of these schools that I just mentioned has, has fallen away, has fallen the direction of the world. But Christ hasn't promised that the universities that we start, that the gates of hell will not triumph over them. He hasn't promised that we can start Christian institutions and they will stay orthodox. He has promised that the church will thrive, that regardless of what persecution comes, regardless of what difficulty comes, the light of the church will continue to shine, that God will continue to work. We see that in Matthew 16, 18 and 19. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We must not fret. God… It's provided for us. God has provided for us. Christianity thrives under persecution, and Christianity will also thrive as they live peacefully amongst a people. But as Christians, we must remember that we are exiles. We are exiles. We, we are a people that are passing through. We are a people who, who, who are not in our land. This is not our home like the Israelites that were cast out. They were exiles. They were in Babylon for that time. They were there to build houses. They were there to plant vineyards. They were there to to, to, to be a blessing even to that culture that they were in, knowing that, that you as well, dear Christian, should be that way. You should be a blessing even to this kingdom of man as you live here But knowing that this is not your home, this isn't your be-all and end-all, so long as the Lord gives you power and authority and sovereignty in an area, be a good steward of those things. Use those things for the glory of God. But we cling to these things with an open hand, knowing that the Lord may take them away for His sovereign purpose. And He has provided for us, He has given to us all that is necessary in Christ Jesus that we need not to say, yes, yes, I'm glad I have Christ. I'm glad He has accomplished, He has has defeated sin and death on my behalf, but I need a little bit of this world as well. May it not be. May we use what God gives us. May we use the, the, the opportunities that He gives us, our time, our wealth, our influence, whether it be individually in a network, or whether it be politically within a culture. Use those things for the glory of God, for these are good things. This is important. These are people's lives that that are influenced by this. But at the same time, we are not to be fearful. We are not to be f- fretting. We are not to be to be stressed. If you fear God, then you don't need to fear. That's kind of what I think we have here, Jesus saying, because he, he tells you to fear at one point in this passage, and then at another point, He tells you not, not to fear, and it's a different kind of fear. If you're fearing God, if you've rightly feared God over your sin, and you've trusted in Christ, and you have a reverential fear of God, you don't need to fear God as though He's going to come down on you, as though He's going to judge you. That has already fallen on, Christ so I could make a Yogi Berraism out of this. I don't know if y'all remember the baseball player and coach Yogi Berra. He would many times give um, these these uh, these statements. If there's a fork in the road, you should take it. I would say this: if you fear God, then that's the reason why you don't need to fear God. If you fear God, that you don't need to fear God in a way that you are fretting as though He's going to come down on you. If you don't rightly fear God, then you should you should fear His judgment. For it is over you, That's it's a promise, it is the last verse in John chapter 3 promises that. Those who do not believe in the Son, the wrath of God is already over them. So we've seen these, these, these two points, uh, that light shines on hypocrisy because of God's omnipotence and omniscience, and that we should fear God and not man because of God's omnipotence and omniscience. And thirdly, and this very much ties to the last point, We should confess Christ regardless of the cost. Regardless of the temporal cost, we should confess Christ. Christ should be our profession regardless of what it costs us. This is Luke 12, verses 8 through 11. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who... Who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Look at that theme flowing through there once again. Don't be anxious. Do not fret about these temporal things. Care about them. Be concerned about them. Speak truth on these things. We're not walking around sitting on our hands unconcerned about the world around us, but we're also not, not fretting. We're not fretting like unbelievers. We're not fretting like those who have no hope. Our home is in the New Jerusalem. Our home is in heaven. Consider this, this promise that he says here, In the greatness of this promise. He says, as everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. God knows all things, and he will sovereignly bring forward what he has planned. And if you will confess Christ before men, if you will confess Christ, he will, he will, he will stand behind you even before the angels in heaven. You will stand there in the court of God as one who has been adopted into the family of God. That, that is the highness of what is here. Think of the parable. Oftentimes it's called the prodigal son, and it's rather more emphasizing the older brother. But the, this idea of that, that prodigal that ran off and then, then came back, and he comes back and just says, hey, let me, let me just be your servant in your house. I mean, they're eating better than I was eating over here, taking care of these, these pigs in the Gentile area. Let me just be like one of these servants. And he's like, You are my son. Put on the robe, slaughter the animal, put on your ring. This is your place. That is who you are in the kingdom of God. That is who you are in the court of God. You are a servant of God, but you are of a higher standing than even the angels in heaven. If you will profess Christ before mere men, mere men that are persecuting you, mere men that the, 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 the judgment of God is over, that the wrath of God is going to fall upon, Christ will profess you even before these angels in heaven. We have this additional statement that is here that everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgive, forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And this is this idea that if you are going to blaspheme even against the Holy Spirit, you are denying, you are turning away from the one that reveals. So you've had much that's talked about here, about revealing it. The Spirit of God is the one who reveals. And if you turn yourself even away from the Spirit of God, you have no access to Christ. You have no access to Christ. You have no access to the Father. But I want to end this with some application and thinking through this because there's a lot here that's talking about persecution and, 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 and death and not, not fearing men as you're brought before these trials. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves in acknowledging Christ. Dear friend, do, do you acknowledge Christ now? Is, 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 is Christ acknowledged in your life as you are going through the week, as you are living? In your household, as you are going in your work, as you are driving throughout the city, do, are you acknowledging christ or or is there this this great distinction in your life that on sunday i 'm going to profess certain things i 'm going to say certain things, but then over here we're, uh, this is this is the world, and you have this tension that is here there, there should not be such a tension. there must not be this distinction between what is what is religious and, and what is merely um, temporal in your life. These two things must connect. Do you acknowledge Jesus even in the small parts of your life, even in the, the small aspects that are there? God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God sees these things, even in the small things that you think. And nobody is noticing this. No one is noticing this trial that I'm walking through. No one's noticing this difficulty that I'm walking through. Well, God is noticing. God is sovereignly aware. God is acknowledging this reality. God even has a purpose for that in your life. And there's a blessing in walking in faithfulness in these times. You can trust in that. You can rest in this. God is omnipotent and God is omniscient, and He will reward you for walking in faithfulness. You, you, you can trust Him even in trial and difficulty and persecution and suffering. In all of these areas, you can, you can trust Him because He knows and He is able to bring to pass what He has determined He will bring to pass. And no one will persecute you in any way that the Lord has not allowed, and the Lord will use even that for your good purpose. That includes the the, the many trials and difficulties that you have in life. God is using even those for His good purpose. God is using even those to conform you to the image of Christ. Are you surprised that He would bring persecution and difficulty or pain or suffering into your life? Your Messiah, your Messiah walked on this earth and was scourged, was beaten Was beaten even even to the place that he was brought upon the Roman cross to die. But he's resurrected. He's brought back to life. The same for you, dear friend. You can trust in this. Knowing that if if, if there was hostility toward Jesus, there will be hostility toward his church, there will be hostility towards those who are in his church. Do not be surprised, do not fret. Do not be anxious. Use what God gives you for His good purpose. Use what God gives you to be a blessing to others. Use the influence and the power that you have in your life for the blessing of others. But do not fret, regardless of what is ahead of us, regardless of what is before us. Don't get sucked into these forums on the Internet where there's this constant stress and fretting and anxiety. Remember what Jesus says, do not be anxious. Speak truth as you have opportunity, but not in a way as though you have no hope. Remember, you are even acknowledging Christ before unbelievers at this time, and you are demonstrating to them that you have a hope that they do not have. So many times in church history, God has used the hope of Christians to spark a light within the life of those that are not believers, where they say, there is something different about this person. This doesn't mean that you go through your life, you know, and preach the gospel and, and when necessary use words. No, the gospel is always spread with words. But we must not look past the benefit of a life that is lived consistently, a life that is distinct from the culture around, a life that is not fretting over the loss of possessions and even life. And that is something that the Lord uses many times over in the conversion of unbelievers. Trust in Christ, trust in the Lord, knowing He's omnipotent and omniscient. He has purchased for you all that is necessary in Christ Jesus. He has given to you in Christ Jesus more than this world could ever give you many times over. Rest in that. Rest in Christ, not fretting, not fearing contently clinging to Christ. Let's pray.